Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 29th of March 2009, entitled Hope for the Broken, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 46. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning for the Scripture reading, Matthew chapter 21. If you haven't figured out from the songs and courses we've sung and the text that's been up on the screen this morning what the message is going to be about, then uh, you're about to find out. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to begin reading in verse 23 and reading down through the end of the chapter, verse 46. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word beginning in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? They reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye then believe? Why did ye not believe then? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. They answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. He said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second son and said, Likewise, And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower, let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, 
what will he do unto those husbandmen? They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Father, we thank you again today, Lord, for health, for strength, for this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be gathered in your house today for each one that has been able to come out. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, allowing him to go to that tree and die for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that lives and dwells within, for your word that you've preserved for us. That today, Lord, we can have that confidence that by the power of your spirit, Lord, you will take these words and make them alive into our hearts. Father, we're mere humans and we have all of our failings and shortcomings and we can ask nothing because we deserve it. But Father, because we stand in such great need today, we pray, Lord, because you know the needs of each and every heart, of each and every individual that is here. You know the lost that need to be saved. You know the backslider that needs to be restored. You know the Christian and his need and, and the burden and that which he needs at this time, Lord, to, to strengthen and maybe meet the very need of the hour. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you might meet these needs today. May everything that's said bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. A thought for this morning and this evening is the simple thought, hope for the broken. Hope for the broken. I'd like to begin by rereading a passage that we we read recently in, in passing, and I'd like to do so again this morning in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse one. The word of God says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's interesting as we begin here, he begins in this passage by encouraging us, encouraging us to be of one mind and one heart and one accord, encouraging us in our love one for another, encouraging us to have the mind of Christ. And did you notice that when he makes that statement in verse 5, the sentence doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, that same sentence runs right down through verse 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now we find that Jesus himself, God incarnate in the flesh, Jesus Christ himself had to be broken on Calvary for mine and your sins. He was broken for us, not for himself. Seemingly by the eyes of all those that stood around, seemingly to be defeated. But yet, with God, he says here, <laughs> exalted. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, the question is not whether you or any other human being today will recognize Jesus Christ for who he really is. The really the simple question is, if you haven't already done it, what will it take? How will it happen? When will it happen in your life? You see, there is no question of every human being coming to recognize and acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is. We find that as we turn our attention to our reading for today, first of all, as we look at this and we keep this thought in mind, that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. You see, there's this question of position. The question of position. 
Is the authority of Jesus Christ in question with you today? Have you acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord, as Lord God Almighty? Have you accepted him as your only means of salvation? Can you affirm that right now, right here this morning, he is King of kings and Lord of lords in your life right now? So you'll notice that in our reading today that it was Jesus' position, his authority, that was being questioned. By what authority did he do the things that he did? And who had given him this authority anyway? Keep in mind, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess who he is. But these here are asking him a question. He was in the temple. He was there with the religious people of his day, the chief priest, the elders of the people. They were the ones that came to him while he was teaching, the Bible says here. He said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Notice that Jesus answered their question with a question, as he often does. He says, I want to ask you one thing also. Which of you tell me, I likewise will tell you if you will answer this question. The baptism of John, where did it come from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? You see, I want you to recognize that Jesus knew their thoughts even before they spoke them. He knew what was going on in their minds already. He knew exactly why he was asking them that question. We find that they were afraid to answer because on the one hand, they would show their own unbelief. On the other hand, they would have the crowds upon them because of who they recognized John for being. But I want you to notice the last words he said to them there when they said, well, we can't tell. We don't know. He said, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Now, do you find that a strange answer? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you by what authority. But in fact, what he does is to go on to show them just how absurd that question was. <laughs> just how absurd that it was that they would even Ask him that a question. Why? Because they simply had not heeded the message that had made it so clear. You see, God's servant, John the Baptist, in all of his passion, came proclaiming the Lamb. They didn't listen. That's what he goes on to tell them in verse 32 there. You wouldn't believe. And even when you didn't, you didn't even repent afterwards. God's son, in his very person, in all that he had done, and God's scriptures, in all of their prophecy, 
that had been fulfilled in this one man. You see, this is made absolutely clear, not only in what Jesus has spoken to them to that point, what's been spoken by the prophets before him, but in what he proceeds to tell them as well. Now, there's something here that I think is very important that we look ahead for just a moment and notice what he says or what they say in verse 45. It says, And when the chief priest and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. You see, they knew exactly who Jesus was talking about when he went to tell them. Now, the fact is that the same ways that these knew the answer to that question is the same way that you and I know the answer to that question today. How do we know who Jesus Christ is? What authority that he has? Well, there's only one thing changed. We still have God's servants. We still have God's scriptures but the Son has gone back to glory, and He sent God's Spirit in His place. We find that if you look over just a few pages in your Bible to the Gospel of John, notice in chapter 14 that He tells His disciples there in verse 26, He says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. He will affirm who I am he will proclaim forth the name of Jesus Christ. Notice in the next chapter, in chapter 16, notice in verse, picking up in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come... He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You see, the truth is today we still have God in person just as much as when Jesus Christ was here in the flesh. We have God, the Holy Spirit with us. And he is here to teach us of Jesus and who he is, to proclaim forth the name of Jesus to you and I today. So you see, there's this question of position. Who is Jesus? What authority do you do these things in? On whose authority do you do them? And you see, that's really the question that each and every individual human being must answer for themselves. Who is Jesus Christ? By what authority can he forgive your sins? By what authority can he do 
what he says that he will do. We find that there's not only the question of position, but secondly, this morning, there's what I simply call the quandary of penitence. The quandary of penitence. You see, Jesus proceeds by telling them two parables in which he is describing their actions and not ascribing to him his rightfully deserved position in their lives. In his first parable, we see this quandary of penitence that has taken place. I simply call it a parable of true repentance versus talking rhetoric. A parable of true repentance versus talking rhetoric. Picking up in verse 28, we find that he tells them the parable, What think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he repented. When he came to the second, he said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and he went not. You see, on the one hand, we have a son that in his heart he rebels against the father. He rejects the clear command that is given to him. But then he comes to regret his former actions and he repents and shows through his action that that repentance is real. You see, rebellion and rejection is something that comes natural to the human flesh. What we need is true repentance and actions that show it. Repentance is not just about saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is about changing directions. You see, this man didn't just say, I'm sorry. He repented and went and did it. On the other hand, the other son, he, he says that he will honor what the father has asked him to do. He even speaks with what seems to be great respect. I will, sir. I'll do this. But yet, he shows by his actions that the substance is not real. <laughs> oh, he speaks the right words. He knows what he's supposed to say. But he shows something entirely different by his actions. Now, Jesus asked them. He just told them the story. And then he asked them the simple question, which of those two sons, which one of them has done the will of the Father? They were quick to give the right answer. It was pretty obvious, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't anything too difficult about knowing which one that it was. And they were absolutely right, spot on when they gave their answer. But you know, Jesus, he never pulls any punches. He speaks the truth as it is. Jesus' reply to their correct answer left no doubt whatsoever who he likened in this story to the publicans and the harlots and who he likened to these, the religious crowd. 
Notice that when he speaks to them, he said in verse 32, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. You see, he's showing, just like the first son, the publicans and the harlots, yes, they had sin in their life. They had gotten it wrong with their lives. But they come to recognize Jesus Christ for who he was, and they repented of their sin. But you, you've got all the religious answers. You've got it all, and yet you didn't believe, and you never repented for it. You know, we live in a day when a lot of people can talk the rhetoric. They know all the language. But God doesn't need people that can talk with no action. God is looking for true repentance. True repentance is not just what we say, but it's in what we do. These Pharisees, I mean, it said they were the chief priest and the elders amongst these. They had all the knowledge. They had all the words. They knew what they were supposed to do. They said they were doing the will of God, and most of them were probably deceived enough. They deceived themselves enough that they actually believed that. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul later said? <laughs> I mean, he genuinely thought that he was doing the will of God when he went about persecuting these Christians. He thought he was doing God a favor. These religious men were blinded. But the problem is, they had been given the truth. They had been given opportunity to acknowledge the authority of the one that stood before them right now. The message was clear. But their choice had been rejection. They chose to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the publicans and the harlots. <laughs> I mean, the people that were despised and looked down on the most that would see the kingdom of God before them, he said. Why? Simply because they had truly repented. They had acknowledged Jesus Christ in his rightful position as Lord and Savior. They'd had the same message as the Pharisees. The question is, what do we do with it? You know, Jesus wasn't through with them yet. We see that there's the question of position and there's the quandary of Penitence. But I want to give you finally, there's the quashing of pride. <laughs> he now gave them another parable. And I simply call this parable a parable of privileges squandered and pride's destruction. Privileges squandered, pride's destruction. Notice as we look at that parable again, he says in verse 33, Hear another parable. There was a certain 
householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. That was the natural thing to do in those days. It was the way that a lot of big landowners and big farmers did it. They would go in, they would get everything all set up, they would put the people there to work it, and then they would go to their home, which many times could be far, far away. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Remember, the vineyard belonged to him. He had gone and, and, and had everything in place. He had put these there and left them the responsibility of working it. But now when he goes and expects what's rightfully his, the first fruits of that land, it says the husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants. He's pretty patient with them. <laughs> I mean, if you sent your servants out there and those people that are supposed to be working for you, they just begin to to beat them and kill them and take their lives. But he's very patient. He shows them mercy. So he sends other servants more this time than the first, the Bible says. But they did unto them likewise. They rejected them. They beat them. They kicked them out. But last of all, he sent unto them his son saying they will reverence, they will respect my son. Because after all, he's my son. And they're there because of me. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh. What will he do unto those husbandmen? What will he do to those that rejected his son? We find that it's an interesting parable. But we know that, of course, there's the spiritual comparison because we know that spiritually that it is God that is the owner. We know that the vineyard is God's possession. It all belongs to the Lord. And the workers are the people, people that God himself left to work that vineyard. Yet rather than work for him as they should, they decided they were just a little bit too important. They deserved a, a bit more. They should have it for themselves. They didn't need him and obviously didn't feel that they owed him anything. Sounds to me like they had a little bit of a case of pride and greed. They got greedy. They thought that they were big enough to do it all themselves. We find that the harvest, this parable, it all belongs to God in the first place. 
We are simply here working in his vineyard while he's away. He is the one that is due the first fruits. He's the one that will take care of our needs. There is no more generous, loving Lord in all the world. He gives us far more than we deserve. And then there's his servants. God used his prophets of old. He sent them to call for his people to live for God, to give God his rightful position in their lives, to give God what was due him. He still has his servants, and he calls them preachers. And he sends them to give that same message today that he's given right down through the centuries. Turn to God. Give God his rightful place in your life. Give God what is due to him. Find that we know that the son in this parable is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they rejected the prophets. They rejected all those that came that tried to encourage them to do what was right. God patiently even when they were rejected, he would send back more. Then he sent his son. He sent his son. And of course, his son was rejected as well. Now, in the first application of this parable, Jesus himself makes it very clear. Notice what he says in verse 43, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. You see, the destruction of the laborers in the first instance was the setting aside of the nation of Israel, the passing of his vineyard to the Gentile church, to the New Testament church that is now responsible for working God's vineyard it still all belongs to him. But he took that privilege away from the nation of Israel. And he gave it to his church. You see, God is still using his scriptures just as he pointed out to them there. Have you not read the scriptures, he asked them. God is still using his servants and his scriptures and his servants are empowered by his spirit. That's the only way that it can make a difference. God himself must take his word and make it alive into your hearts. God himself is the one that calls his servants out and then he anoints them. God is the one that has preserved his word right down through the centuries so that you and I today just as surely have the word of God as anybody has since God gave it. We find that God is still God. He's still proclaiming the message today of who Jesus Christ is. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you have rejected the instructions that you were left with. Maybe 
You've rejected God's servants that has come your way in the past. But you know what the most important question of all is today? God has been patient. God has been merciful. But I want to ask you today, how will you treat his son? Will you let pride get in the way? Will you let greed, whether it's for the possessions you might have in this life or the pleasures that you might have in your flesh, or will you accept and acknowledge Jesus Christ for who he is? You see, Jesus is the one that says here in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You see, Jesus is that rock. Jesus is that stone. Notice that in your Bible, you should find that that is capitalized in your Bible, which means that Jesus was actually quoting Scripture. Have you not read the Scriptures? And then he turned and he quotes to them from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, which you find if you look there, it says, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus looked at him and said, Haven't you read the Scriptures? Don't you recognize what authority it is that I'm doing these things? Don't you recognize who it is that I am? The prophet Isaiah Back in Isaiah chapter 28, notice what he says in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not. Make haste. Look with me, if you would, into Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Now, this is interesting. Because if you were to look back and start back in, in, in chapter 3 here, what you would find is this. You would find that this is when, this is Peter speaking, by the way, when they had come up to the gate, and as they come up to the gate in Jerusalem, you remember that they found a beggar there. Peter and John were there, and he was begging, and he was asking for alms and money. He spoke to him and said, Silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, give I thee. And he stretched out his, his hand, and he asked him to stand forward. And as he did so, 
this one that had been lame from birth, the Bible says. He stood up and he walked. Now we find what happened is that because of what happened there, man, the people started gathering around. And guess what? Peter thought it was time to preach. But the same leaders, these same Pharisees and Sadducees, they said, that's not a good idea. What is this? So they want to lock them up. But then the next day, here they are before them, and this is where all this questioning is coming in. They're asking them why that they're doing these things. How can they do these things? What authority do they do these things? And guess what? Peter tells them the same thing that Jesus did in our passage in Matthew. In the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And he quotes to them this same scripture. Notice he said in verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him that this man stand here before you whole. And he comes back, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. I'm saying to you today, Jesus Christ, he is that rock. He is that stone. You can look back in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? Who Jesus Christ was, that he was the son of God, that he was the one, that he himself would raise the third day and he himself would build his church. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you one other passage that we're going to close this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, He says, beginning in verse 1, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them that which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed. 
But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You recognize this morning that it really is a question of position. It's a question of who Jesus Christ is. Folks, I've said it so many times, and I say it once again this morning. You couldn't get any more religion than these people had. You couldn't get any more religious than they. You couldn't have been any more sincere in so many of the things that they did. But it's not based on your religion. And you can be just as sincerely wrong as you can sincerely right. It's a question of position. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the one that you have placed your faith and trust in, not through some kind of religious formulas, but have you humbled yourself before him? Have you sought his mercy today? It is. It is a question of position. And it's a quandary of repentance. I'm not talking about saying I'm a Christian, saying I'm going to do this, saying I'm going to do that. It's a question of true repentance. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've rejected in the past. Right now, today, what will you do with Jesus? Will you take your sin to him? Will you genuinely in your heart Seek forgiveness, the only place that it can come. That's through the shed blood of Calvary. It is a question of position. It is a quandary of repentance. Folks, it is the quashing of pride. It's not easy. It's not easy to humble yourself. It's not easy to admit that you're a sinner, to admit that you can't do anything about it yourself, that only Jesus can. The publicans, the harlots, each and every one here this morning, if you've never genuinely humbled yourself and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you're just as much a sinner as that publican and that harlot was. But the truth is, they had received the kingdom of God. Why? Because of true repentance in their life. That's my question to you this morning. We'll come back and we'll look at some further things this evening, but that's my question to you this morning. What will you do with Jesus? Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we thank you for this privilege of once again as we look into your word, 
of, Lord, of recognizing just who Jesus Christ really is. Lord, there's hope for the broken. Lord, you can't deal with somebody that's hanging on to their pride. But, Father, you'll deal with those that are broken. We must all become broken, and we know, Lord, that not many people look to be broken and want to be broken. But we must be broken. Our pride must be broken. We must recognize that in ourselves we are nothing but sinners. But in Jesus Christ, we can have everything. In Him, we can stand before you righteous and holy and perfect, though in ourselves our righteousness is as filthy rags. Lord, you know the hearts of each one here this morning. I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone in our midst that has never acknowledged Jesus Christ for who He is and what He's done and accepted the fact that it's only through Him and His finished work at Calvary that their sins can be forgiven. Lord, though he died for them, though he loved them enough to sacrifice it all, and the sacrifice was sufficient, Lord, salvation isn't automatic. Lord, that pride needs to be quashed. They must be willing to be broken and humble. They must cry out for mercy because mercy is all that we deserve. And I pray that if there be any here this morning, that are in that position, that, Lord, they would not go another day. They would not reject again because, Lord, none of us know how many opportunities. None of us know when we'll squander the last one. Father, you know the hearts of each believer here today. I pray, Lord, that as you would speak to their hearts, that you would remind them, Lord, that each and every one of us, as your servants, we have great responsibilities. Help us not be guilty as these servants in this parable here. Help us, Lord, to be faithful stewards with that which you've entrusted us with. Help us to recognize the great privilege we have that you've passed on to us to share the wonderful good news of Christ to all around us. In Christ's name we pray.